Hello and welcome to episode 240 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It's my pleasure to be with you this morning. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Thursday, July 14th, 2022, continuing to look at the text of devotion to the precious blood by Father M.F. Walls, which was initially published in 1925. This, of course, is the month dedicated to adoring and loving the most precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This section of the text is entitled, The Precious Blood and Indulgences. No one likes to be burdened with debts. He who does not care to pay his bills is considered an undesirable member of the community. After meeting all his just obligations squarely, every man is desirous of bettering his condition in life is bent on acquiring a home and laying aside a competency for the future. This is the rule of everyday life. The children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of light. Coming from the confessional, where the guilt of sin has been taken from you and the eternal punishment forgiven, and feeling that peace and happiness which the world cannot give, has it ever occurred to you that you are still in debt? Unless the penitent elicits an act of contrition sincere and intense enough To equal the malice of his sin, the obligation of satisfying divine justice by some temporal punishment to be undergone in this life or in the next generally remains. The small penance imposed and faithfully performed is usually not sufficient to discharge this debt, which goes on increasing from confession to confession from year to year. Adam obtained forgiveness for his sin. But what punishment did it not entail upon himself and his posterity even after he had confessed to God and expiated it by tears of real contrition. Moses, who received the Ten Commandments from God and was so zealous in inculcating their observance, whose holiness shone from his countenance and struck terror into the hearts of the Israelites, was refused entrance into the Promised Land because of his mistrust in God. At the very time David was assured of pardon for his sin, he was also reminded that he would yet have to endure a heavy punishment for that sin. The penitential discipline or the ancient practice of canonical penance in the church imitating the example of St. Paul is ample proof of the truth which St. Augustine expresses in these words. Thou leavest not unchastised, O Lord, the sins of even those whom thou hast pardoned. The very admission to canonical penance in the early church was considered already a great benefit. Sin, wrote St. Ambrose to the Emperor Theodosius the Great, after the massacre of Thessalonica, is effaced only by tears. No angel, no archangel, can remit it on any other condition. The Lord himself forgives only those who do penance. I advise, entreat, warn thee to submit to it. The church continues to proclaim her penitential seasons and to insist upon the necessity of practicing penance according to the words of Christ. Unless you do penance, you shall all likewise perish. In one of her apparitions to Bernadette at Lourdes, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of Mercy, looking over the world with an expression of intense sadness, exclaimed, Penance, penance, penance. How our weak human nature shrinks from the mere mention of penance, but our Holy Mother the Church is ever at our side with her consoling doctrines of mercy and pardon. An indulgence is the remission of a debt contracted towards both God and the Church, to which the sinner is liable, 
even after having received the pardon of his sins. This remission is made in virtue and by means of the application of the superabundant merits of Christ and his saints, by the authority of the lawful pastors who grant it for a just and reasonable motive. Hence we conclude that any indulgence is at the same time a payment, salutio, and a remission, absolutio. It is a rigorous payment of the debt contracted by the sinner, for the whole penalty is exacted to the last farthing. It is a remission, because the sum paid does not come from the sinner's own funds, he being destitute of any, but from the inexhaustible treasure of the church. Indulgences are granted, and to a certain extent reckoned, according to the rules of ancient canonical penances, or canons, which counted by days, by periods of 40 days, quarantines, and by years. But it would be inaccurate to assert that indulgences are nothing but the remission of canonical penances that would have been imposed on the sinner, according to ancient discipline. For, as St. Thomas observes, such a doctrine expressly, expressly derogates from the privilege granted by Christ to St. Peter in the words, Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, it shall be loosed also in heaven. Matthew sixteen nineteen. Indulgences have in the eyes of God the exact value set forth in the granting of them by the church. I will give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. But temporal punishments due to sins forgiven exclude from the church exclude from the kingdom of heaven. Hence the church has the power to remit temporal punishments. In other words, to grant indulgences. And we may rest assured that the indulgence is accepted by God in that quantity which the church establishes. Otherwise, it would be useless to speak, for instance, of indulgences of 100 or 200 days as of distinct grants. If the church has the power to dispose of Christ's precious blood and the forgiveness of sin, it is quite fitting that she should be able equally to dispose of its merits for remitting the lesser debt, the punishment. This is that plentiful redemption of which the psalmist sings. Did not our Lord grant to the penitent thief on the cross this bountiful redemption when he said, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise? St. Paul also grants to a sinner who has given sufficiently strong proof of repentance a solemn remission of the penance imposed upon him. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. From all this, it is clear that an indulgence does not mean a pardon of sin. It rather supposes, on the contrary, that sin has been forgiven in the sacrament of confession. Much less does it mean a license to commit sin. These are monstrous notions of Protestants and need not be refuted here. To gain a plenary indulgence, it is necessary, number one, to be in a state of grace, number two, to have no attachment to venial sin, number three, faithfully to perform certain appointed works. An indulgence does not even deliver the sinner, though repentant and even pardoned from the consequences implied in the very idea of sincere repentance. For example, from the obligation of restoring stolen goods, of retracting calumnies, or avoiding occasions of relapse. It is difficult to understand how Protestants can profess to reject the Catholic conception of indulgences and yet believe, as most of them do, that after death there will be a general indulgence when all sins will be forgiven, both as to guilt and penalty. The explanations of Lapicier on indulgences are so luminous and satisfactory that we cannot refrain from quoting this eminent divine at length in this article, which we consider important on account of the many indulgences to be gained in the arch-confraternity of the precious blood, and on account of the general indifference 
towards indulgences among the faithful. We pass over indulgences, says the curie of ours, as we walk over a cornfield after the harvest. At the end of our lives, we shall rue this very much. By gaining indulgences, we appreciate properly the price of our redemption. You have been bought with a great price. Indulgences apply the merits of the precious blood to our souls. They are sentences of mercy and pardon from the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. As long as we are not free from temporal punishments due to sin, we cannot enjoy the beatific vision in heaven. If we die with this debt, although in the state of grace, God will have to cast us from himself into the flames of purgatory. Therefore, if we truly love God with our whole heart, we will strive to remove everything already in this world that may stand between us and our Lord so that he can press us at once to his loving heart without being obliged to send us into a painful exile. With this unpaid debt against us, we feel as if our Lord should say to us, touch me not until you have risen completely from the grave of sin and glorified yourself with my precious blood by the use of indulgences or penance. To become a saint, it is sufficient to gain all the indulgences possible, said St. Alphonsus de Liguri. Indulgences are such excellent things that I feel unable to praise and exalt their value sufficiently. The one thing left for me to do is to beg and exhort you all by the love and respect you owe to God, to esteem them highly, and to seek to profit by them with all possible care, said St. Ignatius of Loyola. Our divine Lord told St. Bridget, go to Rome. There the streets are all golden paved and bedewed with the blood of martyrs. There, because of the indulgences their merits have won, the road to heaven is shortened. Bearing in mind that indulgences are a means by which the precious blood of Christ wipes out our debt of temporal punishment, and remembering that there is perhaps no confraternity in the church that offers us a larger appropriation of satisfactory merits and few richer in indulgences than the arch-confraternity of the precious blood, the members of this arch-confraternity will be alert every Sunday in looking over their leaflet or their manual for the indulgences to be gained during the week, just as a businessman is quick to look up the market quotations every morning in his daily paper for temporal gains. Jesus Christ, so ends the uh, section of reading for today, Jesus Christ paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. I heard Dr. Scott Hahn say that I'm certain many others have as well. We cannot atone for sin, the weight of sin, the wickedness of sin. But Jesus Christ can and has. He has struck down sin, Satan, and death. We can go to the priest, and indeed we should, who is acting in persona Christi. Jesus forgives us through the priest in the sacrament of reconciliation. But there's still that debt. There is still the effects, the consequences of our sins. That has to be paid. It may be paid in purgatory. We want to try to avoid purgatory, if at all possible. We can also, however, attempt to gain plenary indulgences. And again, it's not anything that we do. It's all Jesus. It's all his grace. So let's do our absolute best aided by his grace. As Dr. Martin says, not to offend him even in the slightest thing. But when we do fall, 
go to confession. Go to frequent confession. Even if you believe you, quote, have only venial sins, it's still sin. All sin is offensive in the eyes of the Lord. And I know receiving Jesus and his body, blood, soul, and divinity wipes away venial sin, but it's still a good practice to confess those venial sins because unrepented of, they could potentially become mortal sins. Thank God for his forgiveness, for his mercy. Jesus is the merciful love of our heavenly father and thank God for indulgences. Let us take a look now, continuing Plinio Correa de Oliveira, prophet of the reign of Mary, by Professor Roberto Di Mattei. I highly remember you get a copy for yourself, as I've been mentioning over the last several days. I believe that we are in the initial stages, the initial phase of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Mother. You may say, hey, Terrence, I see everything that's going on in the world, all these wars and uh, all these mandates and all this other crazy stuff that's taking place. It doesn't look like the Blessed Mother is triumphing or in her uh, triumphant reign right now. Looks can be deceiving. She's always working. She's always praying. She's always interceding for us. She's always interceding for the world. And as I've stated before, I believe something was set in motion in March with the consecration by the Pope and the bishops of Russia to the Immaculate Heart. And hopefully very soon in the coming days, weeks, and months, we will see the tangible benefits of that consecration and the Blessed Mother will reign triumphantly. We have to continue to pray hope and not to worry, pray the rosary every single day. And I believe with every fiber of my being that the Lord is going to work miracles very soon through the intercession of the Blessed Mother. It's not a matter of if, but when. This section of the text is entitled A Grand Retour to the Spirit of the Middle Ages. The reign of Mary will contain Nova et Wetera, new and old. Plinio believes it will be a restoration and not an innovation. Something that was almost dying takes revenge on its opponent, not by resurrecting, but by reviving without having passed through the shadows of death. Plinio employed the expression grand retour even before he learned about the great movement of souls that developed in France in the 1940s with a pilgrimage to a statue of Our Lady and the Child Jesus, venerated in Boulogne-sur-Mer, France, since the Middle Ages. On December 8, 1943, Pope Pius XII consecrated the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And on March 28th of the same year, the French clergy confirmed the consecration of France. To reap the fruits of this consecration, four statues of Notre Dame de Boulogne-sur-Mer, taking four different routes, visited all the dioceses of France, including overseas territories, drawing huge numbers of faithful. That was the largest Marian visitation in the 20th century. During 60 months from 1943 to 1948, 16,000 parishes and 83 dioceses were visited. That movement of prayer, penance, 
and renewed fervor was called Grand Retour. Not only because of the much longed-for return of millions of French POWs still imprisoned, but above all for France's return to the faith. Plinio employed this French expression to call grace of the Grand Retour, a profound spiritual restoration that Our Lady would grant her faithful children in view of the dramatic events foreseen at Fatima. He was convinced that the reign of Mary would be preceded by an irresistible movement of grace, a grand retour of humanity to the spirit of the Middle Ages. In the deluge of sin of today's world, counter-revolutionary Catholics who remain faithful will receive as a prize the first fruits of this grand retour, which lead them to aspire for a refinement of medieval civilization. And this is a quote from Dr. Plinio. What we look for in the Middle Ages is a spirit, a mentality that showed through more in Notre Dame than in other monuments, but which did not attain as great a flourishing as our soul would want. We noticed that seed and we hope it will finally reach its full expansion in another order of things. In that new order, we would not find something different but the aroma of the Middle Ages with a more intense presence and greater beauty. That order will be nothing but the, and this is a difficult word, epenusima, the development of the medieval seed, whose manifestations we all see and are enchanted with. But of course, our souls desire something more. And this desire can be the fruit of a grace, as a prize for our fidelity in the midst of this deluge of sin in the expectation that our fidelity will attain its apex with the Grand Retour. So ends that segment of the reading. I find it ironic that Dr. Plinio was using the phrase um, restoration, right? Pope Francis has used the term restorationist uh, as a bit of a shot at traditional Catholics who simply want to attend the traditional Latin Mass and share with others, uh, Catholics and non-Catholics, the beauty that we found in the traditional Latin Mass and traditional forms of piety. And Pope Francis uses the term restorationist. I, I like the fact that a lot of traditional Catholics um, have seen that as, as a bad, badge of honor. I'm, I'm happy to call myself a traditionalist, a, a restorationist. What would simply be known at the time... Um, Plinio and um, Professor DiMattei were discussing in the 1940s in France, simply Catholicism, right? There was no Novus Ordo Mass at the time. There was no Vatican II. And what I want, and I believe what um, all Catholics of goodwill want, the so-called traditionalists or restorationists want is a return to that time, a unity of faith, and there can only be unity in the truth. So let us return, my friends, to the traditional Latin mass or to divine liturgy. I highly advise not attending the Novus Ordo. You attend the traditional Latin mass, you see young families with lots of kids, you attend the Novus Ordo, and this is no shot at all at people who attend the Novus Ordo. I know a lot of 
good and holy people who do so. But you tend to see uh, an older congregation and fewer people. Uh, there are two masses that are offered at the chapel I attend. I attend a Society of St. Pius X chapel, an 8 a.m. and a 10 a.m. mass on Sundays. The pews are, are full. It's beautiful to see. You attend um, most Novus Ordo parishes, and there are a lot of empty pews. The people don't want novelty. The people want the truth. The people want tradition. We don't want innovation. We want to get back to what worked. So yes, I'm proud to wear that label of a restorationist. Let's get back to the early 1900s when the seminaries were full, when bishops were strong, courageous men who preached the truth, when priests were telling their faithful the truth without apologies, without exceptions. I know there are still good bishops and priests out there, but not nearly as many by percentage as we had 100 years ago. There have been diabolical attacks, especially on the holy priesthood. And St. Anthony Mary Claret said the worst punishment God gives people, and you read about this all throughout the Old Testament, are wicked priests, a wicked clergy. And with all these sexual abuse scandals and um, all the other sins of the flesh that have gone on in the church, especially in the ranks of the clergy, we have seen that take place. But it's only because of the sins of the laity that I believe the Lord has allowed that to happen. You think about people who claim to be Catholic, but they're using intrinsically evil methods of contraception. They're fornicating. They're committing adultery. They're looking at evil images on the computer. They're committing self-abuse. Gravely sinful behavior. Lust is the biggest problem in the world. We need to return to chastity, modesty, and self-control. God will give us the grace to do that. Let's ask him for that grace. Uh, practice that I recommend is three Hail Marys in the morning and three Hail Marys in the evening, specifically to honor the immaculate purity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The demons despise her purity, her chastity. When we become a chaste society, we will become a good society and not until that takes place. Oremos. Prayer for the hastening of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart by Bishop Schneider. O Immaculate Heart of Mary, Holy Mother of God and our tender mother, look upon the distress in which the whole of mankind is living due to the spread of materialism, godlessness, and the persecution of the Catholic faith. In our own day, the mystical body of Christ is bleeding from so many wounds caused within the church by the unpunished spread of heresies, the justification of sins against the sixth commandment, the seeking of the kingdom of earth rather than that of heaven, the horrendous sacrileges against the most holy Eucharist, especially through the practice of communion in the hand, and the Protestant shaping of the celebration of the Holy Mass. Amidst these trials appeared the light of the consecration of Russia to thine immaculate heart by the Pope in union with the world's bishops. 
In Fatima, thou didst request the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays of the month. Implore thy divine son to grant a special grace to the Pope that he might approve the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. May Almighty God hasten the time when Russia will convert to Catholic unity, mankind will be given a time of peace, and the Church will be granted an authentic renewal in the purity of the Catholic faith, the sacredness of divine worship, and the holiness of Christian life. O Mediatrix of all graces, O Queen of the Most Holy Rosary and our sweet Mother, turn thine eyes of mercy towards us and graciously hear this, our trusting prayer. Amen. Prayer of St. Alphonsus Liguri for a Happy Death St. Joseph, by that assistance which Jesus and Mary gave you at death, I beg you to protect me in a special way at the hour of my death, so that dying assisted by you in the company of Jesus and Mary, I may go to thank you in heaven and in your company sing God's praises for all eternity. Amen. By thy pure and immaculate conception, O Mary, obtain for me the conversion of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, Canada, the United States, and the whole world. Virgo potens, ora per nobis, sancti Joseph, teradimonem, ora per nobis. In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends, for listening to episode 240 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. In your charity, please share this podcast with everybody you know. Follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Fatima Podcast, and pray for the eternal salvation of Pope Francis, the Supreme Pontiff of the Universal Church. Goodbye, and God love you.